want to take a sort of a break this week. We had kind of been moving through a little bit of a series on Welcome Home, which is looking at who we are as a church and looking at um, the things that are really important to us, the values um, specifically around helping each other take our next steps towards Jesus. And so I've been speaking on that, and we're going to carry on with that next week. But I wanted to kind of take a little bit of time to um, address something that's kind of coming up that's important for us as a, as a culture. I don't know how do you make that lower, but that's it. I don't, I'm not good at that. <laughs> okay, now I'm sitting, I'm better, this is good, this is good. Let me, um, let me pray, because I need prayer. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. Lord, we are, um, we are treasured and loved by you. Um, but we also know, Lord, that um, we need to hear from you, and we need to follow your direction, and we need, to, we need your wisdom. And so, Lord, I ask that I would be your voice this morning, that I really wouldn't be about the things that I want to say, but the things that you want heard, and that um, we would just have a really great time of discussion this morning, and that you would be happy with what is said and what is heard. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I wanted to kind of um, touch on an issue that's, that's coming up in the public sphere at the moment. You may have uh, heard in the news that there's um, new legislation that is being proposed around abortion reform. So um, I actually wasn't aware of what the laws were, um, but the, the new proposed law would be that um, it is freely available um, up to 20 weeks of pregnancy um, and then the normal restrictions after that. So this is being debated in Parliament at the moment, which of course means it is going to be hotly debated out in public as well. And if history has shown us anything, whenever an issue this highly charged and emotional and deeply meaningful to people, all of the guns come out and things get heated and things get ugly very, very quickly. We've seen this in places like in the States, um, where this has been debated often, and we've seen this in places like Ireland, where um, most recently they, they um, had a reformation of, of their laws there, and it can get very touchy. And I will have to say, from the Christian side, it gets very, very touchy. And we don't have necessarily a great history of expressing ourselves in a way that is meaningful and helpful. But... It is happening here. There is going to be a debate in New Zealand. There is going to be an, an issue around this. And it is going to come out, one side is going to be accused of murder and another side is going to be accused of oppression and disrespect. And I don't really want to get into the specifics of the debate today. I'm not going to be talking about abortion today. But what I do want to do before I move into a more generic sort of conversation around this, and I'm going to explain what I mean in a second, I've put my email address up here because this is something that is so deep and meaningful to so many people, and I don't want to make any assumptions about where you stand on it, what your personal experiences around this, or how you have been treated around this are. So I want you to be able to ask questions. I want you to be able to ask, what does the Bible say about this? 
I want you to be able to share. I want you to be able to vent and complain and argue. But I want to do that in an, in an appropriate way. So I think this morning, this sort of setting is not the place for that. Um, because it's a lot of me talking and, we, you know, I want you to be able to talk. So email me and we can get together, we can have a coffee, we can talk through some things. Okay, it can be anonymous, no one has to know, any of that sort of stuff. Okay, so I wanted to say that and set that to the side because what I really want to talk about this morning is not so much the issue of the legislation of abortion, but rather the question, what do we do as Christians when our society moves in a direction away from what we believe the Bible to teach? Right? How do we act and react when the world disagrees with us adamantly about something that we adamantly agree with, or vice versa? Because this has happened before, hasn't it? This happens in an increasing amount of times where legislation comes through and it brings up a topic where we believe the Bible says one thing, society believes very deeply about something else, and there is this rift. How do we live in that space? How do we do that in a way that is pure and godly? The reason I'm bringing this up this morning is because we have dropped the ball before. We have not historically been very good at these conversations. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But first, I wanted to kind of give a little bit of context around history and the way that church and society have interacted, thank you, that's the word, interacted with each other throughout history. And it's something I've mentioned to some of you before, I call it the Constantine threshold. So if you see up here, if you look at history, the cross represents the time where Jesus came, Christianity is born, the church starts, and it starts as a very small minority group within a larger Roman empire. Okay, so the Romans weren't particularly thrilled about Christianity. At first, they didn't really care, and then as it started growing, they were trying to oppress it, push it down, get rid of it. So Christianity was born into a very disagreeable society. The things that Jesus taught us to believe, to act, to do, were very much against the way that the culture believed and acted and did. But they they survived, they thrived anyway. Then comes Constantine. I mentioned Constantine, I think, a couple of weeks ago. He was a Roman emperor around the 300 AD mark. He becomes the first emperor to make Christianity a legal religion in Rome. Um, There's debate around whether he was actually a Christian or how much he pushed Christianity, but history would suggest he opened the door for Christianity to become the center point of the Roman Empire. So from that point onwards, and that, by the way, is a symbol he used. It's a key in a row, um, Greek words, Uh, for Jesus Christ, and uh, for Christ, actually. And um, so from that point onwards, Christianity held a very central role in society. And in fact, from that point forward, all the way up until the late 20th century, um, 21st century, we're in the 21st century, late 20th century, up until that time, throughout that whole span of history, the most powerful nation in the world at every point along the way was Christian or had Christianity at the center point of society. What did that mean? 
It meant that people, whether they believed in Jesus or not, they lived out the values that the Bible teaches. Okay? They, they generally accepted most of those values as being true. And so whenever there was a situation that would arise within the society that was contrary or different to what the Bible taught, the voices came out of the church, kind of like prophetic voices, saying to the people, no, that is not right, this is not the way we do things. And generally, that was accepted by society. Something has changed in the latter part of the 20th century and the early 21st century, where society has shifted. The way that society thinks about Christianity and about the church has shifted, and we have now moved back beyond the Constantine threshold. What do I mean by that? I mean that it is no longer, the church no longer holds a central place in society. Its voice is no longer respected and heard and looked to for advice. When society is trying to figure out what to do, it no longer asks the leaders within the church what they think. We have come all the way back mostly to akin to the early church of the first century. Now, what that means is when society comes up with a situation or comes up with a decision about a certain issue, it is no longer looking to Christianity for advice, for permission, or for acceptance. This we have seen already. Four years ago, legislation came out legalizing gay marriage. When that happened, the Christian voices in parliament and society spoke up and were shut down immediately. And so the debate around parliament was really, why wouldn't we? Why has this not been done earlier? Right? As opposed to debates that have happened throughout history. What has happened is that we have been sidelined in society as a Christian group. Christians and churches had generally been sidelined within society, but here's the thing. Most of us didn't see it coming. Most of us were not aware of this shift. This played a very important role in the way that the church reacted and acted and spoke out on certain issues, especially the homosexual debate. What happened was we had thought, as in times past, that society was, in a sense, on our side, that society agreed with the values of the Bible. What happened with that is Christians got arrogant. We got complacent. We got a sense of we have the moral high ground. And this brought out an ugly side to us. We became the people who would look down on those who disagreed with us. We became the people who would vehemently and angrily protest people who were against us. We became the people who would hate, who would objectify, who would treat people who disagreed with us as inferior or disgusting or weird or horrible. That's what happened. 
And then when the debate reached Parliament and we stood up and we said, right, society, let's go, we looked around and they weren't there. And so suddenly, our arrogance came to light. The way that we treated the gay community suddenly became proof in their eyes of how bigoted, how arrogant, how irrelevant, how outdated Christianity was. That's the situation that happened. All right. We are now moving into a new arena of debate in the public square around the issue of abortion. Are we going to learn from the mistakes and the attitudes that we had in times past? Are we going to be able to speak or to act, to interact with those who disagree with us with a different attitude than we've had before? Because we have failed society up until this point. It seems like a harsh thing to say. I'm going to make it even worse. We failed Jesus. We failed Jesus. Because if Jesus was part of the debate up until this point, he would have sounded very, very different to us. So let's be different. I want to get into the Word, the Bible. Um, Because one of the great benefits of actually moving back across the Constantine threshold is that we actually now look more like the early church than at any time in history. Which means that the letters, the books, the words that were written to the people in that time are actually very applicable to us as we navigate our own society. So there is one particular um, letter written by a guy named Peter. Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, so he, he was a very close friend of Jesus um, for the three and a half years that he was hanging out with him, and then one of the, the main leaders in the church since that point. And in chapter 3, he gives this really great little snippet of instruction about the way that we can interact with a society that disagrees with the values that we hold, right? So let's have a quick look here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He said, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Now, the first thing that we need to look here is actually a little bit of literary structure. (laughs) Super exciting. Everybody loves a little English class. Because the way that we look at this verse, because the first verse sits there, it says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and then it moves on, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, blah, 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 blah. And so we kind of put those on a level plane, but in the original language, the first sentence drives all of the other sentences. So the key phrase in this whole passage, and in fact in the whole way that we think about who we are in society and how we will interact with society, is this statement here. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. 
If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe that God is who he says he is, you've got to worship him as Lord, which means authority, king, leader of your life. That's the most important thing. That is the key, the foundation, the most important every idea. And it should be. Every discussion that we have about our culture must begin with this idea that Jesus is in charge of our lives. No matter what pressures we face from the outside, no matter what intellectual arguments, what emotional pressure, even violence that has happened in history, thankfully we don't face a lot of that, no matter what happens, He is King. He is the one I follow. Everything else flows out of that affirmation. So what does that mean? Especially in this sort of public debate arena. Well, the first thing is it means we believe what he teaches us about these issues. Okay? We believe and we follow. That's not always easy. Because sometimes the Bible says something and we go, oh, really? I mean, if we're we're honest, the way that we within our society think the way that we interact with each other, certain issues, it just seems like, I wish that wasn't a big deal. Like I just wish that wasn't the way the Bible teaches it. But if it does, then we follow it, no matter how hard it is. Secondly, it means if we are going to follow Jesus as king, it means we have a posture of love because he is love. That was always his posture. Even when he was disagreeing with someone, even when, he, even when he was having a go at the religious leaders, and he was pretty harsh with them, but he did so from a posture of love. And he did so only because they were blocking people from God. And thirdly, and this one is an interesting dichotomy here, we assume a dual responsibility And I've got this in a couple of verses up on the screen here. We have a dual responsibility of seeking justice in our culture. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. So we actively seek justice. And yet also, in 1 Corinthians 5, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders meaning people who aren't as part of the Christian community. But it's certainly a responsibility to to judge those inside of the church who are sinning. Okay, that's a different issue. We can deal with that another time. But the issue here is we seek to help a community. We seek to seek justice, God's justice, but we do so without judgment, which isn't always easy. All right, so the original language of of, uh, 1 Peter says that out of this affirmation that Jesus is Lord, because he is king, we make ourselves ready to give a hope, a reason for the hope that we have. We make ourselves ready to have an answer. Okay? Um, It basically means we need to stand up for what we believe. It is not just enough to affirm what the Bible teaches, but we need to hold and stand firm in that. 
Listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 10. This is another one of his hard sayings. He says, Anyone who, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. In other places, he says, if you're ashamed of me here, I'll be ashamed of you up there. So we have to hold firm and we have to stand on what we believe. But here's the question. If we go back to 1 Peter 3, where he talks about, give a reason for the hope that you have. Yeah. Here's the question. Is this active or passive? Does it mean that you actively share what you believe or does it mean you wait for people to ask? It seems that it would be passive, wouldn't it? I'm not entirely sure that is the complete picture of what this is saying. I actually believe, given the context, in the, in the context of the early church, people didn't speak up. That wasn't the culture. People didn't just give their opinions on things. Especially if you're in a lower class, if you were poor or, you know, working class, anything like that. People just didn't care. And you weren't allowed to just speak up. We don't have that society. One of the great things about our society is that we care about the value and we value the opinion of everybody. So does that mean, yes, maybe we can speak up? Maybe. Maybe we can, maybe we wait. I think the key is not so much whether it's active or passive, but the way that we go about it, which is reflected in the next sentence. The next sentence is, do this in a gentle and respectful way. If I had a time machine and a brain stamp, I would go back in time to our Christian ancestors, especially over the last 100, 200 years, and I would stamp that all over their brain. Those two words. Gentleness, respect. Gentleness, respect. Because this really is where we fall over. This is really where we have failed before. From burning heretics in the Middle Ages to angry gay protests to abortion clinic bombings, we've not always embraced the harder but far more effective path of gentleness and respect. And Peter goes on in verse 16. He says, tell us to keep a clear conscience in our attitudes and actions. Interestingly, the context where he is writing to this group um, this in the early church, it seems the people were get gravitating towards one issue or another. Yes? Can I ask a question? Yes, you may ask a question. This is fun. Okay, so um, how do we uh, how do we when I experience this Yes, that is an excellent question and a hard question. And that's one of the thing, reasons why I want to speak on this. It's because, oh, sorry, the, the question is, the younger generation, maybe my generation? <laughs> Probably not. Okay, so the younger generation, <laughs> very sensitive towards these issues. And this is a very good point. Uh, people, especially in our society today, where everybody has a valid opinion and everybody is protected, 
the, which is good. Um, it has sort of brought up this concept that you cannot say anything negative about anyone. That's kind of what you're saying. So, and in fact, disagreeing about someone on something so important as this is construed as disagreeing. So this is part of this, this, this tightrope, this balancing. Let me keep going for a little bit and see if I kind of touch on what you're saying, because no, 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 I appreciate you bringing that up. Because we want to make sure that we are doing this well and not pushing people away. So um, the people that, and this, this may play into this as well, back in the first century, the way Peter was writing, there's a couple of verses that give us clues as to what people were doing that was, he was speaking against. So have a look at these verses. In first, verse 9, he says, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Okay? So hatred, anger, was one of the reactions that people were having against, for the issues, which is one of the reactions we have. The other one was, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't be worry or be afraid of their threats. So on one side you had hatred, and on another side you had fear. Does this sound familiar? Because this is the way a lot of Christians tend to kind of bounce from one to the other. We do one of two things. We stand our ground, stomp our feet, and say, this is horribly wrong, you horrible person. Or we say, absolutely nothing at all. Because we are afraid. We are afraid of the sensitivity of the people around us. We are afraid of insulting people. This is a tough line to walk. Peter asks us to walk that line. Jesus, when the way he interacted with people is, is instructive, perhaps, is the right word. He always showed love. He always showed acceptance of people. He was angry at the religious leaders, but he was not angry at the people who were actually disagreeing with the things that he was saying. He loved on them. He stood firm in who he was, and people gravitated towards that. When asked, he answered. He spoke out. He said, this is the way that we live our lives. It's not always easy to do. I think <clears throat> if we live this in fact this goes back to you know what this is good this is the next verse <laughs> peter highlights a positive at the end of this okay because he says in verse 16 if people speak against you they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to christ that's kind of from our perspective a little bit let's read first peter 2 12 because this shows a little bit um, from their perspective be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors which means A, posture of love, B, living out the things you believe, by the way, because if you're a hypocrite, that's it, you're done, and C, holding to what you believe. Okay, so if we do that, then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, beha honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God. There is power in living a life that is strong and humble that does not veer away from what we believe, but has done so with a posture of gentleness and respect. 
there is power when we live a life that is honorable, then we speak and people respect who we are. There's this attitude of mana, right? We speak from our mana. The respect, the honor that we have built up as people, when we then have an opinion, they are more likely to respect the opinion because of the place that it comes from. If you say, I disagree with them, before you have communicated, I love you, then you are hating. If you communicate, I love you, and then you communicate, I disagree with you, it is from a firmer foundation. Does that kind of answer your question? Yes. And in this, this, yeah, th this is the, the problem with all of the debates that we have in the public square where we disagree with society is they're going to disagree with us. That's going to happen. There are people, I'm reminded of several situations that Jesus had, uh, like when he talked to a rich young ruler. And the guy's like, all right, so what do, you, what do you think I need to do with my life? And he says, give away all your money because that's, that's the thing that is drawing you away from God. Give it to the poor and follow me. Do you know what he did? He walked away. Jesus did not chase him down the road saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. You know? He didn't say, look, let me rephrase that. Give away some of your money, maybe, if you want to. There was a sense of which he is who he is. He believes who he be what he believes. And he lets people react the way that they want to. Which is the highest form of respect for a society. That we are not forcing them to agree with us, but we are standing on what we believe and why we believe it. And they, some of them will hate us. Some are sensitive to that. We will be called bigoted. We will be called archaic. But if we can stand before God and say, this is who I am, this is what I've done, that's what matters most. Which goes all the way back to the first verse, doesn't it? Worship Jesus as Lord. He is the one whose opinion of who I am is most important. He is the one who I need to impress. So we kind of walk that line. We want to be gentle, we want to be respectful, but we also don't want to hide what we believe. And we don't want to be too afraid of insulting people. Now, we can help ourselves by not being really insulting, you know what I mean? There's wisdom in that. Wisdom in that. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so if I do say so myself. All right. I appreciate, by the way, the questions. And I want this to be a place where if you want to ask me something, please ask me. I can't always promise to answer. Not always an appropriate space to answer every question, in which case we can come up afterwards. But don't be afraid to ask. All right. Where am I? Okay. I want to finish up with an attitude that Martin Luther King, um, if you guys are familiar with Martin Luther King, famous civil rights activist in the States, he was someone who um, was really battling society about something that was really, really important. Listen to his attitude about the way that he interacted with society. He said the old law of an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. 
It destroys communities and it makes humanity impossible. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. And we have seen that in the Christian community before. He says, in winning our freedom, we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process. What a beautiful picture. Isn't that the picture that we want? Isn't that the ultimate goal? Not to overturn legislation, but to win people? To win hearts? Is that not the greatest expression of love, the reason the church exists in the first place? Our ultimate prayer, our ultimate prayer should not be that the abortion law fails. Our ultimate prayer should be that the law becomes irrelevant because no one wants one. Because people's hearts have turned to God. That's the win. That love, not hatred, not anger, not disrespect, not oppression, but love wins the day. That love becomes the defining characteristic of this and every other debate that we have. Yes? To quote Martin Luther King again, love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. Let's pray on that. Oh, sorry, you have a question? Yes. 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 I want to tell a little anecdote because I think this is Amy, by the way, um, is pregnant and works as a midwife. So this is obviously a very personal thing for you, and and I appreciate your heart and perspective on that. As society moves back past the Constantine threshold, and I want to say this carefully, but I, I believe this, we should become less and less concerned about what the parliament, what the government is doing about Christian values and more and more concerned about how we are reaching our neighbours. So, in the early church, there was a similar law. The law actually was far worse. It said that if you did not want your baby after it was born, oftentimes there would be, you would be, give birth to a girl, and it's like, oh, I don't want a girl. I want a boy. I want a man in the house, right? Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but that was literally what people were thinking because men were more valued than women. So they were allowed to take the baby girl out of the city and put it on a hill and then walk away. 
and the babies would die exposed to the elements. Do you know what the church did? The church did not rally a protest about this law. Do you know what they did? They went and got the babies. And they adopted them. Apparently I've heard that the early church was, had twice as many women as men because of this. That is how love works. Yes? Right. So there is the ideal, what we're really shooting for. And then there's, this is what it comes down to is, what is your conviction to? Because God has purposed people for different roles. I saw a documentary on this thing. I know we're going a little bit over (laughs) but this is important. Um, I saw a documentary and it had voices from the pro-life side. So there needs to be people who are motivated and skilled and equipped to speak into this arena because the, the only thing worse than having a hatred speech is having no speech, right? And so we do need people in Parliament who are, are making people aware of giving the reasons with gentleness, respect, and love, right? So yes. And so I'm not saying don't speak out. I'm saying if God is calling you to speak out, speak out well. And I'm not saying don't care about the law. I'm saying have a, have a responsible, loving attitude towards the law. However, and I've seen this, this is a reaction to my time in, in the United States, where the Christian community becomes hyper-focused on the law and is not doing anything about the people affected by the law. They're more likely to go protest an abortion clinic than they are to support the women who are going there. Right? So I think the attitudes that we have, we just need a little bit of a shift. It's almost like an awareness that our society is a freight train heading in a different direction than the Bible. And while we don't necessarily want to ignore the train, it's very hard for us to stop it. So I would much rather help the people on the train and, and, and work with that. Does, that. does that kind of make sense? So, yeah, so there's, there's still both and, but our efforts should be in, in the realm of love, which, yeah, is what Jesus did. Okay, wow, that was heavy today. That was, um, man, that was good. I really appreciated that. I really appreciate that we can discuss this as a community. And I would be very interested, because again, um, my email address, if you want to throw that back up there. If we want to do something, if you're driven to do something loving, something with love, let's have a conversation about that. Let's, Let's talk about what could be Give ideas of how can we be loving and positive and truthful all at the same time in this. And I'll I'll tell you now, it's not going to be a protest. I'm not going to do that because I don't think that that helps us. Um, But maybe there's other things that we can do and maybe there's some some things that's on your heart that we can kind of um, engage with and activate. So I'm going to pray and then I don't know how much time we have. (laughs) I'm doing communion next. All right, Lord, man, you're here today. You are here. And this, this issue that we are facing is a big issue. And like issues in the past, Lord, we recognize that 
we don't live in a Christian country. And we also recognize there's some good things about that. There's some really good reasons. We've seen Christian countries do pretty horrible things in the past because we confuse politics with, with faith and, and, and that's not something that's really happening here. So we, we, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunities that the fall or the decline of the institutional mainstream church concept in society allows us new back doors into people's hearts and minds with a true expression of faith. But Lord, this also means that our government, our leaders, our society that we are part of, we're going to make decisions that we don't agree with, decisions that have far-reaching and very powerful ramifications. Lord, give us wisdom. As Kinsey has mentioned, it is a hard road to speak, to be in this place, in this country, without truly offending people. And we don't want to offend people, not for the sake of it. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us help. Give us motivation. Give us faith. Give us strength. Give us ideas. But most of all, Lord, band us together. Let us be helpful to each other and to the community around us. Put people in our lives, Lord, where this is a really, truly relevant issue so we can love on them. Yeah, that would be great. It's in your name we pray. Amen.